Hello everyone. Welcome back to The Layman's Historian, Episode 10, Syracuse and Retreat. First off, congratulations to everyone for reaching the double-digit episode mark. This serves as quite a milestone in our History of Carthage series. We have seen how Carthage rose from a group of Tyrian exiles into a thriving port city, and then into a commercial empire backed by a strong navy and powerful mercenary armies. We've surveyed the engineering feats and marvels that the Carthaginians constructed, from their famous double harbor complex to the fortress on the Bursa to the massive 21-mile-long walls. Despite her setbacks in Sicily from the likes of Dionysius and Timoleon, by the late 4th century BC, Carthage had expanded her reach to cover a large swath of Iberia and nearly all of North Africa, besides strategic Mediterranean islands such as Sardinia, Corsica, the Balearic Islands, and western Sicily. The Carthaginians had devised a system of government that, with all its imperfections, was widely admired by the surrounding peoples. With the three branches of government, the elders of Carthage, or Senate, the Tribunal of 104, and the executive Safites, providing checks and balances against one another to curb the power of any one party. Fueled by the enormous profits pouring in from her trade and manufacturing, supported by a dizzying array of strategic alliances and confederations, with both local and international powers, and bolstered by strong naval and land forces, by the time of Alexander the Great, Carthage could call herself the dominant power in the western Mediterranean. Today we continue our story with the career of Agathocles the Sicilian, last of Carthage's great Syracusan enemies. Having risen to power through rivers of blood, Agathocles had made a deal with the treacherous Carthaginian general Hamilcar for mutual support in their tyrannical plots. Due to Agathocles' machinations, Carthage was on the brink of civil war when Hamilcar unexpectedly died, relieving the pressure. Now, Carthage turned her attention back to Agathocles, who had been attacking Carthage's allies in Sicily. The new commander of the Carthaginian forces, Hamilcar Gizgo, grandson of Hanno the Great, raised an army of 10,000 Libyan levies, along with a thousand slingers from the Balearic Islands and many Carthaginian noblemen. In 311 BC, Hamilcar Gizgo set sail in 130 triremes to confront Agathocles and put an end to his upstart regime. The crossing to Sicily was not easy. A storm sank 60 triremes along with 200 supply ships, and many troops and Carthaginian nobles were lost. This loss was somewhat mitigated when the Carthaginians arrived on Sicily, since there were always bands of roving mercenaries and discontented citizens who could quickly fill up the ranks. Once on Sicily, Hamilcar Gizgo proved himself an able and energetic commander. 
he set to work to repair his damaged fleet and recruit new troops, and his efforts and confidence raised the flagging morale of his Sicilian allies. By the time he marched out of Lilibaeum, Hamilcar Gizgo led a force of 40,000 men and 5,000 cavalry. Hearing of the Carthaginian advance, Agathocles moved quickly to secure his position before they arrived. Curiously enough, despite his brutality and massacres, Agathocles was widely popular among the commoners of Syracuse, and we are even told that he needed no bodyguards in the city, but could walk among the people at ease. Such was not the case with the aristocrats and the other cities outside of Syracuse, these all hated Agathocles and eagerly welcomed the Carthaginians. These defections likely increased after the Carthaginians scored a serious naval victory over the Syracusans, where they captured and destroyed 20 of Agathocles' own ships. As city after city joined the Carthaginian standard, Agathocles began to fear that the strategic city of Gela would go over as well which would not only deprive him of a large quantity of resources, but would also leave the road to Syracuse wide open to the Carthaginians. Knowing that the citizens of Gela were waiting for any excuse to rise and revolt, Agathocles, instead of besieging the city, sent his men in small detachments into the city. When his troops outnumbered those of the city, Agathocles himself arrived. He accused the inhabitants of treachery and massacred 4,000 citizens and confiscated their property. He then ordered the survivors to surrender all their gold and silver to supply him with money for the upcoming campaign. Finally, leaving a strong garrison in the city and throwing the 4,000 bodies into the ditch outside the walls, Agathocles marched out to find Hamilcar Gizgo. The two armies met at the River Hamira, which is located at the southern edge of Sicily and is different from the city of Hamira, where two previous battles have been fought. The Carthaginians held a hill called Egnomus, a name which would later become famous in the First Punic War due to its association with one of the largest naval battles of all time. Besides this future glory, the hill of Egnomus, which literally means impiety, was known for another, more infamous connection with the ancient tyrant Phalaris, who had constructed a bronze bull to roast his victims alive in on the same spot. With the Carthaginians encamped on the Egnomus, Agathocles settled in on another hill, known as the Phalarium, across the river Hemera. Neither Agathocles nor Hamilcar Gizgo were eager to cross the river and give battle, due to both the strength of the enemy position and a local prophecy which foretold that a great number of men were destined to die at the river. In spite of this, the generals both sent out raiding and foraging parties, and several skirmishes broke out. During one of these skirmishes, Agathocles, thinking to lure the Carthaginians into a trap, placed some of his best troops along the river in an ambush. 
When the Carthaginians rushed forward to attack the Greek foraging party, Agathocles' concealed troops sprung upon them and drove them back in a disorderly mass. Seeing the Carthaginians' confusion, Agathocles crossed the river and launched a full-scale assault on the Carthaginian camp at Ignomus. Such was the speed and ferocity of the attack that Agathocles had crossed the moat around the camp and breached the palisade wall before the Carthaginians turned to fight him. Although totally unprepared for such an attack, the Carthaginians met the Greeks in the breach and fought hand-to-hand along the moat. Both sides suffered heavy casualties, the Carthaginians defending their camp to the last, while the Greeks pushed forward with cries of victory, thinking that they were about to win the entire war in a single battle. At this critical moment, Hamilcar Gizgo brought up his Balearic slingers to drive the Greeks off with their missiles. As their name implies, these men came from the Balearic Islands and were renowned as the finest slingers of antiquity. Their familiarity with the sling as a weapon began in infancy. A Balearic boy's first toy would be a sling, and Balearic mothers instituted a highly effective, if somewhat draconian, method of training. They would place a piece of bread on a stake at a distance, and they would not allow the boy to eat until he knocked the piece of bread off the stake using the sling. Once the boy finally managed to do this, he would eagerly take the piece of food from the ground and devour it. This colorful drill regimen produced men that were remarkably skilled at using slings in battle. Contrary to most other slingers, the Balearic slingers would carry three slings, one for long range, one for medium, and one for close range. According to Diodorus, one of these slings was wound round the head, one around the body, and the last was carried in the hand. Besides their slings, they carried small shields and a wooden javelin for defense in melee. Highly sought after as mercenaries due to their skills as skirmishers, the first Balearic slingers were reportedly paid by the Carthaginians in women and wine due to their lack of a monetary economy. However, by the time of the Sicilian Wars, the Balearic slingers were paid in high-quality coins and were likely considered an elite force in the Carthaginian army. Interestingly enough, the people of the Balearic Islands have kept up this sling tradition throughout the centuries, and even today it is widely considered a national pastime. Although to the modern mind the sling may seem like an ineffective weapon against heavily armored hoplites, recent studies have shown exactly the opposite. Made of animal hide or plant fiber, slings were typically two to three feet long, with the longer slings being used for longer shots. We typically think of stones being used as ammunition, but other projectiles were used including lead bullets and hardened baked clay. Lead ammunition was particularly effective due to being extremely dense and difficult to see in flight. Oftentimes, these bullets had holes drilled into them, which made a whooshing or whistling sound that likely added confusion and terror 
to enemies on the receiving end. There was good reason for such concern. In the hands of a skilled slinger, a bullet could strike a human-sized target at over 130 yards away, meaning that it outranged all but the most powerful bows of the time. Indeed, slingers were often seen as more valuable than bowmen due to the havoc they could wreak on enemy troops, especially armored soldiers. The Roman military author Vegetius, in his book Concerning Military Matters, extolled the virtues of the sling, saying, Soldiers, notwithstanding their defensive armor, are often more annoyed by the round stones from the sling than by all the arrows of the enemy. Stones kill without mangling the body, and the contusion is mortal without loss of blood. It is universally known that the ancients employed slingers in all their engagement. There is the greater reason for instructing all troops, without exception, in this exercise, as the sling cannot be reckoned any encumbrance, and often is of the greatest service, especially when they are obliged to engage in stony places, to defend a mountain or an eminence, or to repulse an enemy at the attack of a castle or city. Recent studies have confirmed Vegetius's description of a sling bullet's destructive power. Estimates show that these stones had just slightly less stopping power than a modern bullet fired from a 44 Magnum handgun. Besides being an incredibly effective missile, the sling bullets also give us a surprising insight into another tool in the slinger's arsenal of tricks, his witty and often dark sense of humor. Archaeologists have found bullets inscribed with lightning bolts, snakes, and scorpions, all signifying how the bullets could strike without warning. Some slingers took their comedic career a step further and inscribed sarcastic phrases such as, take this, catch, ouch, and even for Pompey's backside. Such finds remind us that, however much they differed from us in time and culture, these men were very much like ourselves in more ways than one. Now, back at the Battle of the River Hemera, Hamilcar summoned these men to turn the tide of the battle. Flinging their heavy projectiles with deadly accuracy, the slingers shattered the Greeks' defensive armor, wounding and killing many. Suffering under a continual hail of bullets, the Greeks were driven out of the camp. Even so, Agathocles continued to attack at points unprotected by the Balearic slingers. But at this moment, Carthaginian reinforcements arrived from the sea. Landing, these reinforcements attacked the Greeks in the flanks, forcing them into a retreat, which soon turned into a rout. As the Greeks fled back to their camp on the Phalarium Hill, the Carthaginian cavalry rode them down, slaughtering many as they ran across the flat valley between the hills. In a bizarre twist of events, the river itself contributed to the Greek casualties. The battle had occurred at midday, and it was extremely hot when the Greeks fled the field. The battle-weary Greeks tormented by the beating sun and by thirst in their flight, 
turned to drink greedily from the river Hamira. However, the river is naturally very salty and brackish, and many Greeks died due to drinking the water. Diodorus claimed that the number of Greeks who died from the river equaled the number who actually fell in battle, stating that 7,000 Greeks in all had perished on the field as compared to only 500 Carthaginian casualties. For Agathocles, the Battle of the River Hemera constituted a devastating setback to his power in Sicily. Though we don't know exact numbers, his army likely numbered significantly less than Hamilcar's before the battle, and a loss of 7,000 men was a huge blow. To make matters worse, now nearly all the cities of Sicily, both Sicilian and Greek, threw off the Syracusan yoke and turned to Hamilcar, who treated them with generosity and friendship to earn their goodwill and attach them to the Carthaginian cause. His efforts were completely successful, effectively leaving Agathocles and Syracuse isolated. Even though he was in dire straits, Agathocles, as we will learn, did not lack nerve, whatever his other faults. Instead of retreating straight back to Syracuse, Agathocles withdrew to Gela in order to buy the Syracusans enough time to harvest their crops before the inevitable siege began. Hamilcar initially besieged Agathocles in Gela, but once he realized that the city was too well defended and well supplied to be taken by assault, he left to visit the other Syracusan cities and negotiate their cooperation. Meanwhile, Agathocles, having bought the precious time he needed, hurried back to Syracuse to prepare the city for a siege, repairing the walls and organizing the defense. He was just in time, for right on his heels came Hamilcar with the Carthaginian army. Determined to put an end to the menace of Syracuse once and for all, Hamilcar encircled the city while the Carthaginian fleet strictly blockaded the port. As the Carthaginians set up camp around Syracuse, we will bring this episode to a close. Though the situation looked grim for Agathocles, defeated and surrounded by the victorious Carthaginians, next time we will see how the tables were turned by a move of such startling audacity and boldness that Carthage herself will be left reeling for survival. If you're enjoying the Layman's Historian podcast, Feel free to subscribe and leave a review. It really does help the podcast. Also, if you have any friends who like history, please let them know about the layman's historian. Until we meet next time, take care and read more history.